What's up, everybody? This is Mr. Benja with Mr. Benja's AD Experience Live. Jumping right into it, today we have a special guest. As I said, I'm going to try to bring you guests and informative people, other creative minds who have gone through the creative experience and have them on here to talk with you about some of that good stuff. So today we're going to have Donnie Cornwell showing up. We worked together previously and have kept in contact online, but lots changed. So we got a lot to catch up on and good stuff's going to be happening here. Let's see. I'll go ahead and bring Donnie up on and we'll just get this thing started. Because this is how we do here. Get in, get the things done and get out. And just like that, here we are <laughs> live. And I did it. I'm I, technology. I, I am impressed. Yeah. You, uh, you can hear me. Okay. I got you. Okay. I can hear you perfectly. All right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. So uh, you, you're a little low on the camera there. Okay. Try to adjust that a little bit. There you go. Is that better? That's, that's excellent. Yeah. It's weird with Instagram because it has the full screen cam. And then when you go split, it changes the focus a little right. bit. So a little bit annoying, but still cool. Nonetheless, I like the technology. It's, it works. Yeah. I think the two of us can, can figure it out. So <laughs> we'll see. A lot of people can't, they get kind of, uh, yeah, it, it just hurts a lot of people's brain. I, I was worried, uh, it's a little bit past five and I, I didn't see you live. I thought I disabled notifications or something, but, uh, here we are. So it's not exciting. This will be, uh, my, my social interaction for the year that I'll be, I'll be good to go. For another year, and then you'll go back in the cave and just uh yeah yeah. So how I'll be how, fine. So how have you been? Um, it's been several years now since we really actually talked. I mean, uh, yeah, face to face, it's been many many years, probably at least ten, I think. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, uh, pretty good, crazy stuff. Mostly for me, uh, the focus has been on family, yeah, stability. And, uh, launching my two kids into their trajectories of life, wherever that takes them. This yeah. thing here, the, uh, Saturn V behind me, that's a Lego Saturn V. Okay. I sort of, uh, use myself, my, my wife and myself, uh, as a, a first stage sort of metaphor. We just boost them into whatever orbit they want to be. And then we fall back to earth and do whatever first stages do when they fall back to earth. I like, I like so. that. So you, um, so I, I've always admired, uh, the fact you're a family man and you keep your, your kids in, in, uh, in constant, um, thought and, you know, yeah. so it's, it's really good. And, um, so now that they're going out, um, it, is it kind of weird them going out into this world? Um, the way yes. everything is right now, the pandemic, the social media, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think that it was a blessing for them to have sort of a tech savvy parent. Hmm. Um, I was able to sort of, I hear about the troubles that the teenagers get in, you know, with, uh, social pressure in different social medias. And it's just sounds like a nightmare. And it wasn't so much that I, blocked them from that because that's impossible but uh, i tried to 
equip them with the knowledge of of what's going on behind these huge systems that they're um, unavoidably a part of. So, right, I think it worked. So, well, I don't know. <laughs> so you, but I think they're I think they're both wonderful, well developed human beings. So, I'm proud of them, and I, I think my wife and I did a good job. I, I, from, from what I can tell, I, I think so too. Um, yeah, I saw that one of them was, uh, the art of, was it a uh, Floyd? Floyd. Montserrat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my son, he's the only thing I'm going to plug today. Okay. He's, uh, he's going to be an animator that, uh, we're going to be watching in the future. Okay. I have no doubt in my mind. So we so, talk, we'll talk about him later. Is that the, uh, the video game influence coming through or, um, so everyone in my family is an artist. Um, I tried to get into art, but uh, when I was young, I, I couldn't uh, couldn't break the shackles of the need to sort of perfect the thing that I was drawing. So I sort of didn't pursue it and went more like engineering and design system design type of approaches for, for the things I was interested in. But everybody in my family's artists plays uh, plays instruments, and um, I think it he was like ground zero for the art bug. It really hit him hard, and he's pursuing it, you know, hundred and ten percent. So, so did that uh, did that come in? Um, you said the art thing with perfection and all that. At what point was that? Do you kind of notice that uh, in you? For me, yeah. Uh, Junior high, I ditched art. So it was a long time ago. And it wasn't until sometime at um, working on Red Dead Redemption, maybe a little before that, that I sort of, I don't know who I heard the mantra from, that perfection is the enemy of greatness, but it's stuck with me since then. Yeah, you know, uh, John Diaz says that too. Yeah, Yeah. I think a lot of, um, a lot of people who are, like pursue creative outlets eventually land on that or, you know, trying to perfect art is really, really rough. So unless you're going for some weird deconstructionist type of thing, then perfection's the thing that you're going after. But that's, I think that's on an edge thing, maybe. So, so I've told my story before how I ended up in, uh, in computers and yeah um but i kind of started from an art background as well but at some point i ran across the nintendo entertainment system blew my mind uh well the atari before that of course but these systems blew my mind and somewhere Mm -hmm. during the nintendo i was like i think this might be it and i just i just stuck with that but it didn't feel like a serious thing to me until until sometime in um yeah middle school high school where i was like you know, art sounds good, but I don't, I want to actually do something that makes a, a difference, a rel- in the, that, that was relevant. Maybe I, that's a better way to put it. And yeah. computers and video games felt relevant. So I, I leaned hard in that direction. And um, I already had some inkling from my parents because they'd given me a computer when I was younger, but I just leaned hard into it. Yeah, we haven't really talked about that. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of your story on your, uh, your background on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. But, uh, so for me, 
Um, I started at uh, Interplay back in 96. That's how long I've been doing this. But before then, I had like an Atari 2600. I think my dad had a Pong system. My neighbor had an Intellivision. Somebody had a Commodore 64. Uh, yeah. There was always technology in uh, my friends' houses or my houses everywhere I went. Um, the big one was the, oh God, I'm going to forget all the names, the Rob for the Nintendo. The robotic operating buddy. Yep. Yeah. And you could do things that were not intended at all for the game, like get that spinner going and then poke people with it and give them <laughs> little tiny birds. <laughs> yeah, you did yeah. that, didn't you? Uh, I think everybody did. No, I stayed away. It's hard to use them as weapons. Yeah, yeah. I stayed away from my cousins who were a lot more uh, physically rambunctious than oh, me. Okay. And I was just like, all right, y'all do that. I'll go in the kitchen and cook something to eat while y'all. Okay. That's funny. So, um, so you're saying about the, uh, you know, those are your system going up and you. Yeah, I'd like, I liked taking things apart. I know it's kind of a, bit of a cliche but it, it's true like i like to tinker with things that mm -hmm. and you didn't have to use those spinning things i don't know if anybody knows this but you could just press the lever to activate the part of the game that did the thing it moved the levers or something you could just press the lever yeah you didn't have to go through the whole contraption um but i'd take stuff apart use that for different things and um play tons of games PC games. I remember Black Cauldron always stood out for me. It's a mm. very old game. It's uh, in the King's Quest line of games. It was in the 80s. Okay. I remember the name. It's not coming to me, though. What it was a Disney movie based on some Welsh, English, oh, I'm going to piss some people off, some stories from Britannia. Um, but... Uh, that was sort of where the bug came for, for me was as far as video games, it's always been there. And, um, I got a job at Interplay 96 and QA and got a designer role and worked on fallout games there and a bunch of other stuff that Interplay did. And I don't know, it's all sort of boring to me, but then, you know, the exciting, interesting stuff was when I met you at, uh, Oh, rock stars. <laughs> um, wait, hold on. Let me back. Cause our chats, our chats stood out, but we'll get to that. Let's back up. Yeah. Let's, okay. So you're the host re really quickly though. Um, people always, at, at least for the earlier first portion of, you know, modern video games, the yeah. getting in story, uh, was, could, could be pretty interesting to a lot of people. So how did you find yeah. that and how did you get in and. Because there wasn't like a, an automatic. Into the industry? Yes, into the industry. So there were no programs back then. There were no college programs. I think maybe MIT might have had something, but it was very, very esoteric. Mm -hmm. Mostly programming focused. Nothing on like the design of the game. You weren't getting into like a game program unless you were very heavy to the software engineering side of things. Right. So it was all uh, art or getting it through QA. And a lot of people, I think, 
in my sort of cohort started that way. Um, and how did I, how did I get into it? I just applied at interplay with a paper application. I walked it in the front door, handed it to the receptionist and they said, yeah. thank you. We'll, we'll get back to you. And they got back to you. On, yeah. On your, uh, landline phone. No emails. They called me. Yeah. Had to schedule another in-person visit. Uh, I'm forgetting so much of it. So wait, where, where was, uh, why can't I remember where Interplay was? Interplay's in Irvine. Irvine, right. Okay. And they, they had the original by gamers for gamers motto. Right, right. I don't know who owns that now. Huh. Um, but I worked there in QA. Very much sort of grandma's boy environment at the time. I don't think <laughs> most places I think, I think you want to work with have sort of abandoned that. That's not really the, the norm anymore, but back then it was absolutely grandma's boy. I don't even think I'm, is that the name of the movie? Yeah. That's the name of the movie. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was definitely like that back then. Yeah. For those of you who haven't checked that out, it's, it's worth just looking at. <laughs> Maybe not watching the whole thing, skipping through parts. I don't know. It's like a time capsule of very early game development QA. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was fun stuff though. Um, but when I, uh, but through, so you got in relatively normally that's, which is it. Yeah. I wouldn't advise doing that anymore. There's so many programs you can enroll in and, and pay it for an education. There's lots of free knowledge out there that you can get mm-hmm. you can so so the game industry went through this weird phase where it used to be like it was a small team of one two or three people that made games yeah and then it ballooned out to triple a took like like on rdr there was like 200 developers but it sort of collapsed down where one or two people can make a great game now again yeah so it's sort of an interesting life cycle um, I don't know if this is unsolicited, but that's where I would go. I'd self-publish, sure. find a small group of people that can commit to each other and they're dedicated and self-publish. Yeah. When I was at, um, when I was at GDC, uh, last 2016 GDC, I don't know why I was there. I just went back. Um, but I went to GDC and was hanging out there talking to some people. And what amazed me is they had this level of connectivity in creating games that I never thought of when I was coming up, obviously, because no internet. And so I'm talking to this kid and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I put a post on this forum, the game developers, and I got an artist from over here. He's working with us and da, 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 da. And I'm just getting to him talk like, you got a 40 person team, like right off the bat. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to do, you could like go on something like Fiverr and right. source everything. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's like, hi, I'm an online game producer. Look what I built on yeah. Fiverr, you know, as a yeah. 17 year old or something. Um, yep. It, but it was pretty amazing. And uh, it, it, it just, it actually opened my eyes to a lot of the concepts and possibilities that were still out there. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm definitely glad I went. A uh, little bit of me was kind of, you know, had a little bit of the, the, the hater mode in me. I was like, man, you know what I could have done with, you know, but mm-hmm. 
The look back demon. Yeah. Oh, that's what they call that. The look back. Oh, I, I like. I that. just made that up. <laughs> I just made it up. The look back demon. I'm writing this one down. Um, put it next to the imp of the perverse, which I did not coin. That's from Neil Stevenson, which hopefully we could talk about. What is the imp of the perverse? Let's go ahead. Uh, that's the, uh, the instinct in you that convinces you to be a troll and worse. Um, it, was this specifically, was this specifically coined for online? Oh no, this was it in one of his novels. Um, the setting was pre-technology, so they still, in the setting, they still believed in angels and demons. Okay. And this one character believed that he was haunted by this little thing he called the imp of the perverse that always convinced him to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So, uh, yeah, that might be what we call the algorithm today. I don't know. <laughs> it's the algorithm yeah. that's uh, making me do it. Um, losing my, I'm losing my light. Oh no. Oh, uh, I've got, I've got a window over here. I'll be okay. Oh, okay. So. All right. Uh, yeah. Lighting always gets weird. So I have a couple like clip lights and everything. I just, We'll see what happens. I'm just au natural with my <laughs> outdoor lighting coming in. So, um, so with uh, getting into Rockstar, so yeah, we both worked at Rockstar. I came in uh, 2003-ish and immediately started on the the now a band. Well, I can't say what's happened with it, but that mm -hmm. that project that's not being promoted anymore called Agent. Right. And, and that's when I came in a little while later that led to uh, table tennis and then Red Dead Redemption where I worked with you. And yep. so how would you, did you try to get into Rockstar? I don't know how. Yeah, uh, I applied um, for when a design I, position. When I say try, I knew, I mean, I, I didn't mean like, uh, I'm just being, were you thinking like, gosh, I got to get into Rockstar games in particular. Uh, I don't recall if it was, it was like that, but I had some friends that worked there and they said, Hey, right now is a good time to apply. And it looked interesting. I don't think I knew what the project was when I joined, but it was at the time it was Rockstar. It was famous for at that time. I was, I think it was three GTAs and everything else. Yeah. Um, so it definitely had the, the, uh, the mythos and it looked, you know, I wanted to work. I wanted to be a designer rock star. Yeah. So. Hey, uh, we'll get to the questions, Keith folks. Don't worry. Um, so, okay. You actually, you actually got in. That was one of the most interesting experiences of my life. Uh, my whole time at Rockstar games. Um, uh -huh. and I really credit it with changing my ideas on development and everything else. Everybody asks, you know, what's it like? And I think I came away from, from it with the, the idea that an overriding force, like people coming from music and starting a game company, how that could drastically change um, a given situation like game development. And yeah. it really got me thinking about, well, man, what if we applied game development to a lot of these outside things and trying, you know, it just got my mind thinking in a lot of different ways. Um, 
So I totally had a, you know, experience at Rockstar that I, I continue to talk about this day. It's changed yeah. a lot of things for the good, actually. Um, so I'm not here to bitter rant on anything there, by the way. Right. No, I understand. I thought, I think it was, um, not always a great experience, uh, but a noteworthy learning experience that, you know, the people who were part of it will probably never forget. And we all have a humongous, um, title to be proud of, right? So that's sort of how I look back on it. Um, and yeah, I, I sort of jokingly threw that out there. That's, you know, that's where we met, but our conversations always stood out to me as being really interesting. And they were always, sometimes they were just brief, like a, a couple of sentences and then we'd go back into the work. <laughs> so, and sometimes we, we had these long drawn out, uh, interactions. Most of it's faded, but one stood out to me that I'd like to. Oh, totally you remember. Yeah, let's go. Um, we were both looking at Facebook at the same time one day, and it was just after they had pushed one of their updates that had sort of drove, driven, uh, driven everyone crazy. Like they moved the boxes around or something. It's, right, right. At that time, that was enough to really piss people off. Uh, and do you remember that? Like they moved the box from here to here over right, to like, here okay. and people just lost their minds. Um, but the thing that's, that we were talking about that day was the little login with Facebook, but that started to appear everywhere. Okay. And I don't know if it was you or if it was me who said it, but one of us said, it looks like Facebook is trying to take over the internet and lo and behold, I think that's, you know, still what they're after is sort of cornering the internet in their way and they're everywhere now. So it's really interesting. No, I, um, I, I mean, they've made it so easy to, uh, to navigate the internet, um, mm -hmm. with your Facebook login everywhere. It's just, uh, it's interesting. It's weird. No, and you can't predict where it's going to go. Like back then when we were talking about it. No, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know anything about where anything's going to go now. I, I think, I, I honestly think that we're reaching the limits of, uh, well, if we haven't already, we're reaching the limits of human understanding of a lot of this stuff, being able to comprehend the environment that we're in enough to, um, you know, confidently navigate. I think we're just like, Hey, let's run this way. seems like a good idea. Let's go. Um, but these large systems like Facebook and Google are, they're like, um, they're weather patterns at this point. And the people are putting it, the people who are, this is me just spouting stuff off the top of my head, but the, the people who are provisionally in control or more like meteorologists, I think. <laughs> yeah. These algorithms, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And we don't even see most of it, right? We just see the end result. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um back to the Facebook at at uh at Rockstar thing. I remember Jeff and I were looking at it, right? 
And we would constantly be amazed that um, it started with Mafia Wars, pretty much, where Farmville, yeah, yeah, Ma- yep. yeah, Mafia Wars and Farmville, and we were playing Mafia Wars, and at the time it was nothing but yep. like a picture of some gangsters at the top, the logo, and a bunch of meters, right? Yeah, I remember thinking, "There's no game here. We're just yeah, we're just watching meters go up, yeah, and clicking which one we want to go up next." Yeah. Um, so we were kind of fascinated by this. I was like, yo, did you get your, your meter up for the van? Because without the van, you can't do the heist. And without the heist, you can't yeah. get the gold bars. Gold bars, you can't get the rocket launchers. And you need to recruit the different guys for your heist. And exactly. They all need stuff. Yeah. So, so Jeff and I were just kind of fascinated by this. So, you know, Jeff is working uh, mobile now. He went to Zynga. <laughs> he works for Jam City, uh, where he, he's a lead over there of design. So uh, he totally stuck with that. Um, but that whole phenomenon of just watching Facebook grow because they added Facebook games and you're like, yo, you can just play games in the middle of Facebook. And it got us looking at this platform and we, we were like really excited about it and noticing changes like on my computer or my, my account that weren't on his account and vice versa. Yeah. And yeah, I started not comprehending what was going on, but started to realize like, whoa, this is a crazy different area we're in. And it's so pervasive that everyone's kind of acting like it's normal. Right. So, and now I'm seeing that all across the internet where it's like, yeah, it's, it's normal for everybody to just pick up their cell phone and have face-to-face conversations yeah. on video, you know, over Wi-Fi. But I- imagine if you want... If you're like a game designer in Facebook and you want to test some feature mm-hmm. that you think you want to put into a game. And so you design the feature and you isolate it like outside of the context of your game. You have this whole huge, you know, billions, big um, test platform that you can secretly run tests on just update some demographic with the feature that you want to test right and it'll get pushed to all those people and then whatever happens you'll get the feedback from that i imagine they're doing that constantly i imagine that there's different demographics getting different features pushed to them and they don't know unless two people are side by side looking at facebook at the exact same time Mm -hmm. Noticing the differences, so no, that's that's solely what's happening. And um, yeah, from that point of view, it's it's an interesting sort of development tool, right? right? Oh yeah, I mean, if you uh, and I'm going to flesh this out just a bit for anybody listening. Sure. Um, so traditionally, when you're testing something, you have a product, a software product, and you maybe show it to some people or send it out to a small user group, and they play yeah. through it, they test it, they work it out, and they they may or may not tell you what's happening, but you're trying to get information from this small group of pre-selected people. And that was the, there was a software package just for them. Now you've got this live platform that, you know, billions of, uh, how many people are on Facebook? Say, you know, it's it's over. Half the planet? Yeah, it's, I, I want to say it's like a three billion. Um, or uh, there are 3 billion accounts at least. Um, and Good point. Instead of, uh, instead of going through and saying, hey, we're going to create like, 
you know, facebooktest.com and you go here and see if you like it, you're just using Facebook and something is slightly different for you. It may be a slightly different font. You may have, um, oh, here's a great example. The, the backgrounds um, that you use for your short form post, those rolled out kind of sporadically. They were testing them out with different people. And then I noticed that I would have different backgrounds than somebody else. Like, hey, why can't I post this certain color? Why can't yep. I post this certain background picture? And this is how they would test things. They'd test it out in a, like I'm a Facebook power user, I, I would suppose, uh -huh. where I'm just trying out all the different features. I see something new. I'm like, hey, I'll click that. Sure, go ahead. Let's go. Um, you know, except for the, <laughs> the, the, the Korean apps that ask you to, you know, give your uh, dog's name and everything like that. I don't, I don't do those. Um, smart bat, but those, um, but that's how the test used to happen. So now we're, we're actively in the process of experimenting. Uh, I use that term literally experimenting with, uh, people's usage habits, their psychology, um, in this interactive platform. And some might say shaping too. Uh, I would say shaping, actually. Uh, yeah. I'll go ahead and toss that in there. Maybe not intentionally in every case and, you know, to whatever degree. But no, I totally think it's uh, yeah shaping people. And that's where uh, sometimes the unknown sort of concerns me. Where there's a lot of assumptions about Somebody is at the wheel where I think maybe everyone thinks there's somebody at the wheel, but there's nobody actually driving. So, I mean, it's, it's gotten so big. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just a um, very, very, very large complex system. Yeah. Right. And saying uh, somebody is in control of Facebook is sort of saying like somebody's in control of people right right i mean it's, you're not in control of people at some point it's a very large mass of stuff happening and an extremely dynamic system that defies uh comprehension right in a lot of ways which gets me back to the point of you know we're beyond the point of anyone really understanding what's going yeah. on um and i even think back to how many years ago was it back in college i picked up a book called I think it was in rapid development by Microsoft press. They used that they had a series of awesome books out and I got, um, all of them, but I think it was in rapid development where they said, no one knows what's going on in any given complex system that we make at Microsoft. Like just no one, know, no one knows what's happening. No one knows what's going on. They put stuff in and then they look what comes out the other side and everybody's yep. kind of surprised. And this was like, what, uh, 20 years ago? You know? Yeah, there's a, a famous book that is called Systematics. Mm. I think that's the way it's, it's spelled differently. It's not, it's sort of a play on two different words, systems and semantics. Okay. I think it's by John Galt. I think it, that might be a different okay. name, but that's the name that jumps out. And it's sort of a bunch of uh, uh, thoughts and ideas about system design. 
and there's a couple of of bedrock foundation statements that everything's sort of built on. And the most famous that everybody's heard of is the Murphy's Law, right? Mm-hmm. What can go wrong will go wrong. Will go wrong. There's others that are like um, large complex systems cannot be designed from scratch. They can only be built from smaller, simple systems that do work. So there's other sort of goofy, mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek ideas about systems design in there. Uh, like large systems or, or all systems behave like a gas. They will fill any volume they're put in to like the maximum size. Yeah. Like systems grow. And um, so you're pretty- a couple of sort of scary ones, like yeah. all systems, primary goal is self self-preservation. So sort of. we're all yeah. other, otherwise intended design. So, so are you seeing this all kind of playing out? Oh yeah. I mean, this, I mean, the, that, I think that you can apply some of those, uh, lenses to everything like biological life systems to political systems, to mechanical systems, software systems. I think they all sort of fit into that mold, right? I mean, it's obvious that life systems primary goal is self-preservation and then reproduction. And then after that, whatever else our biology impels us to, to pursue. And same thing with political systems. I think, I think their primary goal is self-preservation. Yeah. Despite what they might say. Totally. And I, I, I think, um, I think the a statement that's really appropriate is one that you recently uh, quoted from uh, Eric Weinstein or was it Brett? I don't know. One of their, t- I don't remember. One of their Twitter accounts, it said, um, we're dealing with it. Paraphrasing. Uh, yep. We're dealing with uh, two low resolution schools of thought that basically uh, that one guy is controlling everything or that there's a huge conspiracy. I forgot how it went where not, everything's out of control or there's a huge conspiracy by, you know, yeah. small cabal or something. Um, I should actually pull that up, but you know what I'm trying to do? Like, to. Yeah, sort of. I do like the idea of, of resolution being a, a problem for understanding, especially complicated systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that if you're not like a domain expert in any particular system, even understanding what's going on is going to be an impossible task. So like game design, like we mm-hmm. work together on, on Red Dead Redemption, huge number of systems, all colliding, interacting, and for the most part, doing what we wanted it to do. But, uh, you know, we relied on system engineers to provide um, you know, the baseline components to build our design onto, on top of, yeah. And even those systems, you know, I could sort of open the hood and look at, um, what Eric or, um, who is our AI coder? Fred. Fred, what Fred was doing, I could sort of 
open the stovetop and look at the sauce, but I had no idea how he put those ingredients in there. Well, you know, I just relied on him to make the sauce. Yeah. Well, what's funny is how they would rely on us in different ways. Because, yep. um, for, I, I know that I was working with a lot of the, uh, um, you know, characters that may have gotten lost or separated from their, you know, unit or group or whatever you want to call it, squad. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was dealing with those guys and he come over like every couple of days and it's like, um, I didn't expect that, you know, <laughs> and every day it was yeah. like a surprise for him, uh, especially when we started breaking out and really trying to push it. Like, I don't know if you were around when, um, I started screwing around with how to do zombies. Uh, I messed around with their animations, right? So they wouldn't walk and run as fast. And I had them kind of slogging along like this zombie would pick a, a nearby zombie and follow that guy. And they were all just, um, they were all just copies of Alan, by the way, uh, the Alan character. <laughs> so I had the, so I had each of them, you know, like following a random guy around them and they kind of formed this, uh, their own flock logic. It was like a bad version of, of yeah. the actual flocking and herding logic. Yeah. Um, so I created like just, you know, hundred, 200 of these guys and put them in a field and watch them kind of stumble around with slow animation and slow, uh, rates of speed. And yeah. which ruins their, their animations. If you tweak stuff and don't take that into account. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, it's totally ruins so, the animation and, and quote, quote unquote, breaking the game. But yeah, having Fred come over and he's like, uh, why are you doing this? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't remove this bug. I'm using it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And that's always funny. Like you're saying, like nobody can comprehend um, what, what is going to happen when Facebook makes this change, how people are going to use it. Uh, yeah. You can't just put out a feature and say, yes, people are going to use it this way. I mean, Twitter is just used for crazy things. There's a, yeah, there are people writing books on Twitter, which is comedy to me. You know, where it's like every day, you yeah. like 200, you know, a couple tweets that are like extra sentences in the book. It's weird. Yeah. I, I wish people wouldn't use images on Twitter for text. It makes it impossible to, to quote them. But, mm. uh, um, I have a brief anecdote, anecdote, little story I like about it. development. I like it. Um, talking about systems and sort of the, how hard it is to predict the reception of design in gameplay and different components. It's, it's really tricky. Uh, and how surprising it is, uh, when you elicit a, a visceral reaction. So I had a mission where you had to save, um, uh, one of the NPCs from being hung. And one of the options to, to save this character was to shoot the rope mm -hmm. and, and free her from being hung. And that was a, a new technology that Sean Letts and I can't remember who else is working on it. But uh, the rope technology was new and it took them a while to get it lo looking good. Ropes are infamous for being trouble in games right and um developing a dynamic animation 
a believable animation for for a character that's that's slowly asphyxiating. That's not let's just be blunt about it, right? Mm-hmm. So and it can't it can't be a canned animation because the rope is dynamic. The model's hanging from the rope, so every part of this has to be dynamic. And um this is where it gets a little macabre. For whatever reason, I don't know if it was Sean or it was Brian, maybe Brian Muson chose the nun to test this technology. Right. All right. So the three of us, I think there may be a couple more people involved, were bouncing the stuff back and forth for maybe two or three weeks, trying to get it to work. And then we're, we got it to work. We got it to look great. And we put it in. I can't remember what we called our show and tell, but it was in like the weekly update that went to the whole team. Mm-hmm. This short video of this nun being hung. And we were so excited about it. Like we were just looking at the, the technical accomplishment of it. Right. And other people saw a nun being hung. And we, I don't know if you remember, we literally got emails like, is this something we really want in our game? Hanging these these characters because it looked like a person dying right right and um that was a big surprise to me i think it was to the other people involved and uh it's interesting how like i said in the beginning of this story it's interesting how you can't predict at all how some of this stuff will be received by your fan base it, it just anybody who sees it so does that ring a bell to you at all? Do you remember that? I, I wasn't because it's terribly involved it's, with the road business. Um, anything that I tended to involve myself in, uh, some but of the did man- you see the emails or anything? Yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of stayed away from a lot of that because management, uh, would say, look, if you're going to talk shit, uh, you need to actually get in there and do some work. So certain things I just didn't talk too much about because they got tired of yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting, and this is a form of, um, now I'll use this to get into our media discussion a little bit. It's an example of how things can go out and you're not, you're no longer in control of the message right. or how it was received. The like, author is dead. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it got me thinking about um, the obvious example that everyone talks about with GTA is like uh, the, the generically stupid um, or uninformed media headline was you can you can um, shoot prostitutes and you know you can have a prostitute kill them and take their money and you get points for it. Yeah, and that was like, wait, where's the and you get points for it from part? And then. You know, the points part. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, oh, they're reading this a totally different way. And now that they've read it in this way, they're putting it out as if someone sat at a, at a desk and said, you know, yeah, that's tough. You know, you take this man in the car, go kill this woman and, you know, you'll get points for it. And it was like, no, 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 it's, that's not how it works at all. But right. That's tough. Um, you've probably heard of Anna Sarkeesian. I can't, I think that's her name. Yes. She did a video in parts of Red Dead that I worked on were called out 
that is the so, frequency um yeah yep. free creator for those you know yes uh interesting videos go check them out um i don't agree with everything she says but she definitely opened my eyes to a different point of view i don't think i i don't think there's much i would have changed based on what i saw mm-hmm. but that's another example of of how you're not in control of other people and you can't predict what they're going to, how they're going to receive it. So, yeah. We talked about the communication model, right? The uh, encoding, sending, receiving, decoding thing. And you sort of made fun of me about it. Is this the way a programmer communicates? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah. uh, There's only, there's only one piece of that entire model that you're in control of really so yeah so it's it's a phenomenal thing i think we're in a i actually think we're in great times that we're able amazing times i should say where we can really put out some phenomenally socially relevant products um ideas software whatever and get people behind certain things that actually do improve life um I think a lot of what we're going through is growing pains of, you know, the amount of friction that we're, you know, just the amount of contact points is causing a lot of friction, right? Um, I didn't used to have to hear from, you know, my my aunt who heard me curse on one of these or something, you know, that's just just little 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 <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, oh wow, Benjamin, why did you have to say those words? <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. It's interesting you talk about growing pains. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to monopolize your show because I could just talk with you for a long time. So if I go way off track, but... Uh, okay, hold on. Um, really quick, uh, Keith's post. Give us a little more on what you mean by the mo- that model is way out of date. Um, go ahead, Donnie, you were saying about... Uh, I used to think, and I, I think this is probably a popular opinion i used to think social media was just sort of damaging the fabric of society mm-hmm. uh creating a lot of discord and strife that pushing people apart and i think those are true statements for the most part but i i think we can't ignore um the information that we're getting that we otherwise wouldn't get the relationships that we're able to keep and maintain, um, the the um, the people and things and places we otherwise wouldn't see. Okay. Uh, a couple of channels that I watch that I really enjoy are um, this channel that uh, that um, talks to North Korean. I'm not sure what the yes emigrants. I don't know. Escapee is it's rough. I'm not sure what the exact term is, but they show them different slices of American life and get their reactions. And it's always interesting to see another one that that I just started watching. It's called Tribal. It's T R Y B A L. Okay, and it's it's got um, maybe six or seven uh, people from pretty poor uh rural life i think it's in india 
And they, again, they show them these slices of life that they would never be exposed to. And the one that they, I just recently watched is they showed these, uh, these people, uh, Bob Ross videos, right? And they just mm. fell in love with Bob Ross. They had no idea who he was, but by the end of it, they're giving them, uh, they're referring to them with their most profound honorific, right? Yeah. Like Mr. Uh, Mr. Bob Ross is, he's an amazing talent. And then the next video, uh, the host gave them paints and these six people who had never painted in their life, except maybe just painting a, a, the wall of their house. Right. They all made these fantastic Bob Ross paintings of happy trees and mountains. Yeah. And it's just amazing and uplifting and you would never have seen it without social media. So I think it does a lot of good. I, I do too. I do too. And, um, I know the, I, I try not to, and this has definitely been true in recent years. Uh, actually most recently after the, um, great fan base wars of 2017, uh, star Wars, <laughs> after that whole debacle, I really, which just got reignited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Marsha Lucas's words. Yeah. Right. Um, where I started uh, really considering, like, um, you know, a lot of this is just we're not used to having these types of conversations or used to understanding that, you know, people have more than one layer. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you used to go to your grocery store or whatever, and it's like, hey, grocery store person, and like, hey, whatever. And you know them in that one interaction. Now, sure. Now you go look at them online and you're like, oh my God, did you know that they were this kind of, you know, political alignment and they did X, Y, and Z and da, 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 And it's like, suddenly it becomes something really different. And yeah, the fundamental interaction hasn't changed. You know, that's still the grocery store guy, but now yeah. there's this new layer, um, this new angle to it that we have to deal yeah. with. So I think we can do it a lot better and I'm actually optimistic for the future, but yeah, I don't know, man. It, it hurts in the in the near term just working through a yeah. lot of this. Yeah, uh, I think we're getting this sort of raw intimacy mm -hmm. from people's sort of insides, maybe because people will be texting from in bed and you know on the toilet, all kinds of different places that you wouldn't be having a conversation with them. And there's this, um, this sort of aura of privacy mm -hmm. that I think people operate under when they're posting sometimes. Um, on top of that, it's a one-way asynchronous format, right? Like when we're talking right now, I can see your face and you can see mine and we're reacting to each other and you could talk at the same time I talk and we can talk all over each other and we're getting real time feedback. It's not the same when we're texting each other, in Facebook messenger. Um, it's just a different format of, of communication and primates have to, to learn how to deal with that. Plus there's lots of people at organizations that are predatory and don't have the well-being of people in mind. So, so as a um, 
game or oh, as someone who's developed uh game software and you've seen how you can adjust systems to get different results I, you know i'm just picking at the air here what are some things that you may have thought of that we could employ to help us move forward more, more uh happily wow uh ha quote unquote happily well i think uh games and gameplay are a fundamental part of sort of the, the primate mental structure all the way down to like a core level mm -hmm. um <clears throat> all primates play in some fashion right predators play to, to learn how to hunt uh prey animals run around and play to learn how to escape um and I think part of the uh, part of the 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 mental sort of simulacra is sort of a a game that our our consciousness plays, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't get the unfiltered stimulus of the world right into our frontal lobe. It's filtered and processed and we interact through a, a model of the world that we're constantly building or our brain is for us, right? Right. It's building a game world for us that we're playing in. And, um, I think, I, I don't know how to really improve the world. That's too big. No, uh, but you can only do what you can do, right? But I mean, you do the yeah. things in there. I I wasn't asking on a world changing level. <laughs> you know, uh, so if I could convince people to be sort of more skeptical and test things before accepting them as true, that would be that would be my magic trick. You know, um, testing things. If I, I I like that uh, being skeptical. Um, it's. That's been one of my difficulties getting into the let's um and this goes back to the resolution question. You know, it's not simply this over here or that over there. You've got a lot of finer points in between and they aren't necessarily in a straight line. It's just this mass of right. you know, a ne a network of ideas, thoughts, et cetera. Um but I would remember and I, I normally don't go into large crowd situations, but I was wanting to check out what the Occupy Wall Street guys were doing. Um, I actually thought uh, they had a lot of very good ideas. The two guys who founded it, uh, I was listening to them. One of them has a big art background, and I knew him through Adbusters, actually. So that's how I was. I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Let me go see what this is about. I went down there, and I had never seen Proud Think in that fashion before. Uh -huh. um, and I'm not knocking... Occupy Wall Street. I can do that in another video or I can promote them in another, whatever. But just as a case study, I went down there and they had a library and I started looking at one of the books and I asked a question about one of the books. And questioning, by the way, is what's gotten me in trouble all of my life. Um, I picked up one of the books and said, Hey, is this such and such? And they're like, You don't know? I'm like, uh, Just asking. I don't know because blah, blah, blah. And and they're like, well, here's some books you can look at. And then the lady 
was kind of like unsure of me. She's like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I came down from Oceanside, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. And then I picked up another book. Like, Why'd you pick up that book? And I was like, oh, here we go. And basically in about 30 seconds after that, you know, she was yelling at me, I don't know who you are. Why are you going through our library? You know, we're all here on the same page and you're not. And I'm like, it's not that I'm not on the same page. It's, you know, I didn't run up, grab a book and say, yes, thank God, and start flipping through it, you know, fanatically. So right. because of that, I got a lot of pushback. And I was like, oh, I was just asking about the... Yeah. And it went from like one person to another and like, hey, why are you bothering her to, you know, a good group of people yeah. were kind of pissed at me. And I didn't like, quote unquote, fight back. I was like, look, right. I'm asking a question about X, Y, Z. That was there. She said this. And I was like, what's wrong with what she said? Nothing's wrong. I'm just repeating the facts. And that's, that's weird. It became a thing in the whole yeah, so after a while, the vibe died down. I was still hanging out there for a while, just going around, seeing what was up. But um, I left with a bad feeling in my mouth about the whole crowd moving in that way. You know? Yeah. It's, um, I think a lot of the, uh, I don't know if this is a term. I think it's a term somewhere somebody's used. But like the, the social heuristics that um, primates you know, they developed while humanity was just primates and they protected uh, groups of primates. Yeah. Um, like expelling strangers or expelling something or someone that's not immediately recognizable or signals that they're trustworthy. Right, right. Um, they probably saved primates lives numerous times yes yes hundreds of thousands of years ago but those social heuristics play havoc in the modern day yeah they wreck things constantly so it's tough we can't there's a lot of like biological heuristics that that cause us problems that we wouldn't be able to live without. Like taking things for granted and, and forgetting things is one that I've sort of thought about a lot lately. But if you remembered perfectly everything in your life, every pain and loss mm. and failure and structure, and it didn't fade, that would be like a living nightmare. So mm -hmm. forgetting things is a blessing. Although... It sucks. Right. Um, and there's tons of those, right? There's like almost all of the fallacies that get thrown around are probably some heuristic that our brain uses to simplify our life and make it easier. But, you know, if you rely on them in the wrong situation, it can blow up. Yeah, it, it can definitely blow up. I think that we've gotten, we're at the point now where we're a little too comfortable with um, the, the acceptance that our feelings are right. And, you know, never taking the time to stop and say, okay, why did I feel that way? You know what? Actually, they're coming from this point of view. Let me reconsider. And it may have just been some childhood or... Right. Social thing. You know, I grew up in Florida, so 
we say certain things certain ways. And um, yeah, I, I, I've told this on the pod here before, but it uh, we would we would say fruity, right? Like tropical, or you know, like you walk into a uh, you know, you walk into a perfume shop or whatever. It's like, Ooh, it smells fruity. You know, it's like okay, it's there. This it's a term that we use, um, and it did overlap with um, you know, homosexual slur, but it was its own thing. So I come right. out, I come out here. That's that's how you encoded an idea exactly. So when I came out here and said the word fruity and got some seriously bad looks, I was like, I'm not in Florida anymore. Pull it back, you know. Right. Can't learn a new way to encode things. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so. so, yeah, and it's just been really interesting and weird. And I'm, I'm going to make a weird jump here. Um, okay. Uh, so speaking of primates. Are we talking about the metaverse? No, not yet. We're talking about we're talking about wrestling. Oh, wrestling. Okay. I okay. A lot of I, I've noticed a lot of uh, intelligent, you know, smart, clever people, et cetera, into wrestling. And we'll talk about the actual the mechanics of the moves or the way the whole their whole media system is set up. Yeah. And so I gotta disclose, like I'm sort of just a surface level fan, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm mostly interested in the, the kayfabe concept is applied to <laughs> all kinds of different arenas other than, than wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the wrestling world is really interesting and it's a, a weird, like physicality is entertainment uh-huh. always, especially in their just sort of surface level at risk. But people risking their lives for entertainment has always kind of made me feel sort of strange watching it. Can't really put my finger on what or why, but it's it's weird. Um, Go on. And then, and then, you know, as a kid, watching what I thought were these people on, like, the one foot in the grave, like, when Hulk Hogan got his back broke by Andre the Giant. And they had to drive a, an ambulance into the arena to rush into the hospital. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're like, you know, it's me. But, uh, like, well, that's not what I'm looking at. I'm, you know. Yeah, and they would always sort of, like, you'd get, you'd hear from people, oh, it's just fake. And then they would pull a stunt like that. To To me at the time, I was like, well, they wouldn't take a stunt this far, would they? Like, like he's not moving. He's on the map. Yeah. No. So, I, which is sort of interesting. Like, they're sort of taking advantage of, of the, uh, the medium. Like, mm-hmm. everybody trusts that they're not going to just totally lie. But right, it was a story. So, yeah, the... Yeah, it, it's this weird group of people that I'll, I always run into who, and I obviously don't have a, um, you know, a baseline of any type of plot or chart or anything like that to verify anything from, but just anecdotally or whatever, looking at people are like, you know what, there are a certain class of intelligent people that like wrestling, a kind of 
like the theatrics uh-huh. as they're played out. Um, be like, yeah. okay, this is interesting that uh, they decided to to push this character. Okay, it's interesting that they decided to have um, this character play up this me. You know, like um, there was a there was a little bit of a uh, I don't know what to call it exactly. Um, Islamic, um, you know, black militant kind of, and I remember this because we're always looking out for the black characters, right? I'm just trying to figure out where they're going to be. And it was like, oh, wait, this guy is leaving this group and he's going to join up with this group. And the next thing I know, they formed this like, you know, Islamic militant kind of thing that was mocking or mirroring what was in the news at the time. And I was like, ah, interesting. Okay. But then, yeah, that goes out of style. And then that whole group goes out of style and you bring in like some other guys who are based on some other thing that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder, I always see that stuff and other things like people are, are mad at McMahon for not paying them right or something. And Mm so-and-so is leaving and they're going to the, the other league and you're always like, I mean, where does it end? Like McMahon has been in the ring wrestling with these guys and he's also their boss where like the, the line just blurs and you wonder like how many backstages are there? Like when they go backstage in the arena, they're still on a stage. Yeah. Then they go backstage to the boardroom. They're still on a stage. Like, is there another, (laughs) is there another backstage? Like, is it McMahon's backyard when they're having a barbecue? Is that the final stage? Yeah. Is that the final back room? Or is that just another stage? So it is, I don't know. It's weird, manipulative, interesting. And uh, like, I remember as a kid, you were talking about the different sort of, um, They'll they'll pluck stuff out of the the current news or something. There was Iron Sheik a long time ago. Yep, and I'm pretty sure it was just like an Italian guy that sort of. Oh, hold on, real quick. Um, Keith's post. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, he asked, "Art is a means of social group entitlement." I did want to catch on that really quickly. Um, yes, and uh, come back. I'll have a replay for this. Uh, but I want that's actually very sure. interesting. Um, I'm sorry, Donnie. Yeah, well, I was just talking about Iron Sheik, and I'm I'm pretty sure he wasn't from a, uh, wherever they said he was from. I don't remember where they, the character was supposed to be from. Right. I'm pretty sure he was just a guy that sort of looked the part at the time. And he was a heel, and then I think that character disappeared and like he shaved his mustache off and grew hair and he was a different character. Everybody winked and just played along. Like that was a dire in cheek. Was it? No, he's somebody else. So yeah. And it's funny. Just recycle characters like that. Now recycle the wrestler into different characters. Right. Right. And the idea even can pop back up in. So it may not be quote unquote, the iron sheet, but later on it turns out to be, uh, you know, whatever goofiness they come up with, the platinum Pakistani or whatever. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting now is that he's taken his, 
his likeness and he not now i think he passed away yeah um the, they, the man that was the iron sheik yeah the man there's the iron sheik would go, the man that was the iron sheik would go on to talk shows and he was only interesting because he was playing the role of the iron sheik in the interview and it got to this point where you couldn't tell who was him and who was the iron sheik and he'd just start yelling in the middle of an interview, like, I'll break you right now. Yeah. I'm like, well, that was kind of a harsh question. It is, is this Iron Sheik or is this, this guy, or are they just right. kind of melding into one now? I don't know. And Andy Kaufman. Yes. Famously played the, the role of a heel with, uh, I can't remember his name, Larry something all the way to stage. All the way to uh, national TV on Dave Letterman. Like, that was really big, so. Yeah, it's all very, very weird. And that's one of my... And never never break... There's terms like the, the shoot and an act, right? Mm-hmm. The shoot is when everyone's playing by the script. An act... Maybe I'm getting it backwards. Yeah, the shoot is when they start really, like, doing... Like, it becomes real. Yeah. Like they're supposed to act, they're, they're supposed to act like, uh, you know, you slapped him in the chest and you punched him in the head. You know, if he came out and he did a shoot, that means he was like really hitting them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And that'll get you in trouble with the other performers if you shoot too often. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a weird, there's a whole language to it and everything. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think that may have framed a lot of my, because I tend to be a, a guy who's into entertainment and I've wrestled with this myself, pun intended, um, over the years where I'm engaged in, in frivolous things, uh, fashion, art, wrestling, video games, et cetera, et cetera. Yet I'm trying to use these, at least in my head, I'm trying to use these as a way to better society somehow, or maybe that's what I'm just telling myself. Um, I don't know. Did you, do you have any ideas? Like while you're making a game, you're working very, very hard because game development is generally difficult. Do you ever think and say, I could be working to change things for the better, but I'm here making games. Does that ever come across your mind? Um, I think maybe in passing only, mm-hmm. I don't have any illusion of my insignificance. I think that we're going to go in the weeds again. I think a lot of people struggle with big numbers mm-hmm. and I do, t- I do myself, but I'm not under any illusion that I'm significant or, or meaningful to anybody, but the small people, small circle of people that I've met and interacted with. Right. So. Okay. Call me, call me Yorick. Okay. Uh, the last man I'm, i'll be gone soon yes okay uh just be a skull but do you keep up with a lot of uh, popular media um i mean there's so much of it you have to be a little more specific well i mean some people don't like oh well what do you keep up with uh mostly interested in um science fiction okay uh you know i'm on your Star Wars group and the uh, superheroes group, mm-hmm. and I'd cause trouble with those groups every once in a while. 
Um, there's certain film directors that I'll, I'll always see their movies like Joel and Ethan Cohen, mm -hmm. uh, the Wachowskis, Spielberg, mostly, um, I do like films. Uh, I like music, but there's just so much of it. And I sort of have an anchor bias to, you know, the music of my youth. Yeah. So the new stuff doesn't do much for me. Do you still play games? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of games. Okay. Um, for me though, the, the, the I'm going to sound like such a snob. I don't really play like mainstream games too much anymore. Ooh. I'm more interested in <laughs> if it's, if it's weird or sort of out there, there's tons of games that are out there. So it's not like there's any shortage, but like, um, first person shooters, I don't think I could play them unless there's, unless there's some bizarre concept. I just played this game, super liminal. Mm. Uh, it came out a few years ago. It, okay, and, I think I know which one that is. Yeah, it's about perspective and dreaming. Okay, yes. And it's made by three guys. Like, it's a super small team, like I was talking about earlier. They made it in Unity. And I'm sure their sales are great because it's a great game. It's on Steam and everything. Mm -hmm. um, almost brought me to tears in the end, you know? It, was, it had a really... Um, sort of the, the message landed squarely in my soul right now, uh, just cause of the, the stuff that's going on in my life. And I was up playing late, so I was a little tired and sleepy, but, uh, when you got to the end of the game and it started talking about perspective and, and change, mm -hmm. it was like, whoa, I was like, this is, this is hit me pretty hard. So I love games like that. Um, the only games I don't really play are games that are just not made well. Like I'll play the dumbest. I'll play a game that's just the dumbest idea on the planet. Uh-huh. If it's made well, but if it's just not, unless it's on purpose, like there are games that are difficult to play on purpose. Yes. Like the, the one where you're the guy in the cauldron with the hammer. I love the idea of that game, but I'll never play it. Right, ever. Right. I can just imagine you. And that game's made well. I can just imagine you going through the menus like, you know what, screw this. It takes too long to equip my whatever. I can't deal with the system. <laughs> screw this game. Uninstall. Yeah, I've done a couple of those. Um, <laughs> I won't name any names. But, but like main, I'll, I'll play Assassin's Creed. I loved Odyssey, the one in Egypt. Hmm, okay. I loved that one, especially because there's so much, I don't know how much of it's accurate. I feel like they probably did their research, but there's so much you could learn about that time period. And, uh, they had the, like the history mode where you could just wander around and like, look at plaques and read stuff. Oh, okay. I didn't know they had that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if that's what Alexandria looked like, but they had the, the library and the lighthouse and you could walk in them and look at them and stuff. It was really, really cool. 
so now you have a default uh, idea of what Alexandria looks like, even though it may or may not be true. <laughs> well, there's only so many ways you can lay out a city. Sure. Um, they have to be wide enough for two horses. The, the roads have to be wide enough for two horses in that sort of limits the streets and then everything is sort of based on that. So yeah. did you know that that's, that determined the, the width of two horses determined the width of the solid rocket boosters on the space shuttle because of the, the gauge of the trades used to transport the solid rocket boosters was based on a wagon, which was based on the width of two horses. That could be, that could be bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it could be true. It could be bullshit, but I'm going to believe it. Well, no, there's a lot of stuff uh, that it, it's funny. You start digging to like where this stuff came from and why we have these uh, format like and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like even just the size of like grocery store floors, you know, it's like, well, oh, I'm serious. It's like uh, the, no, I, I want to hear this. This is good. Um, so like the width of like, like an aisle in a grocery store, you need to be able to fit, um, you know, a certain amount of, uh, you know, you know, pallets, right? You need to be able to fit a pallet in there and have somebody walk around um, in the pallets. They bring them in, they dump all the stuff into the, and the pallets are a certain width. And if you like put two pallets side by side, that's like the exact width of a, not the exact, uh, with some fudge room, but like the width of a, uh, a trailer and a, a semi. Yep. So you just yeah. pack these semis up together and they have all this stuff on them and you roll it out to the floor. You could unload it on the floor quickly and safely. So all these stuff kind of has formats. And um, what's his name? Uh, Walton. Sam Walton was really big on like going to other countries and he's like, oh, okay, well, they don't have as many semis in this country. So, you know, they can use smaller, uh, smaller shelf widths and they can have smaller this and that. So he's watching the process change dependent on the physical circumstances, like how you get product into that area. Do they have a good shipping system? Do they have a port nearby? How is their train right. system? And all of these little things start to add up to a format that works for Walmart. And he would spend like just a ton of time traveling around, poking around with like tape measures and stores and, um, wow things like that in other countries. So uh, he got arrested in Brazil. That's how I heard out, heard about it. Uh, he was in Brazil, like measuring the floor and they were like, yo, some American guy in, in uh, you know, trousers and a baseball cap is measuring the floor and he doesn't speak much Brazilian. He claims he's rich or whatever. Let's get him out of here. Lock him up. Was he scouting for a location or something or? I'm not sure what he was doing in Brazil, but he made a deal with, um, a Brazilian group and the Brazilian group was like, yeah, well, we want to deal with Walmart. And, uh, you know, ah. if we can get our product into America and he was like, sure, sure. It'll be fine. Hey, can, uh, can I come down and meet with you guys there? And they're like, oh, wow. He's going to come meet with us here. You know? So they're thinking that they're going to, um, you know, that he just wants this deal with Brazil, this Brazilian company. And right. that for the amount of money really was not on his mind to deal with that Brazilian company. But he figured he could learn about what they were doing and get all in their operations. And that's, I, I have so little knowledge about that. I feel like I'm missing something that just sounds like such a bizarre story. Um, 
I will try and find out the Sam Walton arrested in Brazil story. <laughs> like, I understand he's, you know, he's, he's pursuing his business in some capacity, but mm-hmm. I don't have the knowledge of what that entails to totally grok what he's doing with tape measures in a Brazilian grocery store. <laughs> yeah. It just sounds so bizarre. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's funny. Um, I think a lot of, um, I don't want to tail off into this too far, but just a lot of what people think are bizarre, uh, cause I thought it was bizarre too. Um, when like you see a CEO doing something at his level, like why is he doing that? Or why would he ever think to, uh, you know, um, just behave the way they behave. And you're like, right. it's like, no, no, you don't understand. They're not thinking about whether their car gets stolen or not. It's more valuable yeah. for them to find out X, Y, and Z. So yeah, whatever. On second thought, I would pers- probably just describe it as, as unknowable to me instead of bizarre. No, that's I mean, my, that's my miscode. No, I think the podcast, I, I think, I think bizarre works out just fine because like that guy is doing some bizarre stuff. Is there a reason for yeah. it? Probably. Um, right. Or maybe they're just esoteric and weird. So yeah. Yeah. The esoteric and weird mixed in with the, you know, they're probably in some other mental place making decisions yeah. that don't make sense to me. Whatever. Which happens all the time. So. Yeah, uh, I make decisions my family thinks are incredibly weird. So, whatever. Yep. So yeah, we are about at an hour and twenty four minutes. Um, now we're. I want to wrap this up here in a little bit. Okay. Um, so you're. Uh, are you? Are you still uh, creating games? Uh, yeah. I'm at uh, Blizzard. Oh oh games. oh, that's yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh, I, I guess I can't ask about any. Just not talking about it too much. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I actually, uh, I actually looked you up on Moby Games and I was like, okay, I wonder if he's still there, but never mind. Yep. Um, okay. So you're still doing, still doing the games thing. Um, yeah. Work from home. Uh, how, it, how, how is that? Or do you do that? Work from home? Yep. Okay. Work from home. It's, uh, for for me personally, not for the business, it's bad. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm an introvert, so lots of social interactions is is it doesn't do anything for me. For the business, I think it it's it adds just another level of complication, probably a an entire order of magnitude of complexity to getting the product done because there are undeniable advantages of working in close proximity with others mm-hmm. towards a shared goal that you can't do online or you can't, but it's, there's enormous challenges. So plus like team building is almost non-existent. Uh, right. And just maintaining a good spirit decor. Right. Um, I don't think I'm really like offering anything new with anything I'm saying other than probably reiterating other people's positions. So sure. You know, um, 
what's funny is uh, well, I was talking with uh, Jeff, and they have over at uh, Jam City, their team building online is actually pretty hilarious to me, where, yeah. you know, everybody gets together and they wear hats on this big conference call. So everybody's got like a crazy hat going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're all just drinking beers. And they, I don't suppose it's mandatory, but the fact that you just got this big crowd of people you're working with <laughs> on a screen and you're having like, you know, hey, yeah, tequila, everybody's taking a shot or whatever you're doing, you know. Right. Um, I don't want to make them sound like drunkards or anything, but uh, right. the idea of that is so, I mean, it seems crazy just a year and a half ago, right? Um, yeah. And now it's like a thing where, like, I wish I had invested in Zoom. Oh, Zoom. <laughs> Terrible. Or something. Who knows? Yeah. No, I just, uh, for whatever reason, Zoom doesn't work well on my internet connection, which is part of the reason I started doing these things on Instagram Live. So, yeah. Um, right when they started plugging Instagram Live, I was like, I'm in. I'm going to try this. I'm going to start talking to people. Get uh, get people joining in, like uh, zeroed in printing, Mitsu swag. Hey, what's up, Mitsu? I haven't seen you in a while. Miss Monster, Dr. Anita, Keats Post, and you had, I think I saw a few Cornwells in here. Um, no, Heather Marlin, yeah, oh, <laughs> and and Flo Dowdy. That's pretty funny. I'm, I have some explaining to do, I think. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell anybody I was doing this, so. Oh. Maybe they just randomly found me. That's how it is on the internet. Yeah, I, I assume. Were there were there any other questions? Because I I saw some stuff go by, but I don't know if we really addressed everybody. Or uh, is that uh, a concern? Well, Keith's post questions were kind of uh, heavy in another direction. Yeah. So um, save it for another episode. Yeah, I mean, some of this is a. Uh, like a whole nother level of discussion here. Um, but he did mention one thing I wanted to come back to, and I'll go ahead and answer that here. We'll wrap up. He, uh, he wanted to talk about art as a means of social group entitlement. And it was kind of left at that. Uh, yeah. What that means. Art as a social. It's like, okay, here's the actual question. What about art as a means of entitlement to social groups? Um, did you want to take a stab or... Uh, I'd have to ask some clarifying questions, but it sounds like, I mean, it could go a lot of different ways, right? Uh, if you want to entangle members of a social group more tightly, maybe that's where he's headed with it, or go the opposite and exclude people through art. I don't know. I, I think it works for, for, um, for our discussion that we were having about how we communicate and things. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this quite a bit with, you know, art as this sort of, uh, social currency where this group of people decides that, Hey, this thing is art to us. And it starts to represent not necessarily the image or the shape or the form. It starts to represent a, it becomes like a nexus of all of our feelings in a given direction. Right. Um, well, that's tough. If you, if you add to that, the author is dead. And everyone observing gets their interpretation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
So I think, uh, I, I, and then you, you, I think you could start to develop a ritual or a ceremony mm-hmm. to bring together people towards a, a shared interpretation, maybe. Sure. And like, I don't know. It, like I said, it could go a whole bunch of different ways. So. All right. It, it, it definitely can. Um, because one of those starts to get into the, what is our, who are people and kind of yeah. discussions, but, I, but yeah. I think that, um, even to what you're saying, um, you know, the authors did at some point, they start to assign a role to the author, the artist, and that artist becomes a part of the art itself. So, yep. I remember there was this lady, they were, somebody was interviewing and talking to, uh, allegedly through some newspaper, um, everybody was buying art and some people were phoning in their, uh, art and whatnot. And she was ex- extremely happy because she won an auction. It was great. And they're like, Hey, you won the auction. What did you get? It's like, Oh, finally I have this Picasso in my, I'll be able to put it in my house and this and that and that. And she was going on about it. And they were like, well. What painting was it? She's like, I don't know. It's Picasso. End of discussion, you know. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay. There, a certain class of people has decided that having a Picasso means X, Y, and Z. It's his name yeah. attached to the movement, attached to who this is who we are, and we like this thing. Um, it's sort of like a, a shibboleth a little bit. Mm, what is that? It's a word I might be saying wrong. Uh, it was, it's an ancient word that was used to let other people in a group know that you're also in that group. Okay. So sort of a code. A virtue signal? Uh, of sort maybe. Yeah, I guess so. A dog whistle. Yes. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't uh Shibboleth? It's, I think that's how you say it. Okay. I, I think it might be ancient Hebrew in origin, but I'm not sure exactly. I'm appropriating it. I apologize. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. And Ms. Mossa asked, uh, like Bauhaus versus Banksy. Um, yeah, you know, different art groups, art movements. Um, decide that something is important to them and it becomes a thing. Hot Wheels collectors have decided that Hot Wheels are important to them. It's a thing. Sneaker collectors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a physical thing. You could be acquiring, you know, social clout on Instagram it means a lot to a certain people. Doesn't mean anything to others. Uh, right. You know, I've been in interviews actually where uh, the amount of Twitter followers a person had actually got them the interview had nothing to do with anything else. And I was like, wow. I was like, Oh my God, I don't believe this is happening. Um, but yeah, they were like, Hey, this guy's got, uh, something, you know, 30, some 30 K followers or something like, wow, really? Okay. Hold on. We, we should look into this guy. He probably has a lot more than we know about. It was like, dude, he could have just gone viral because of, I, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of look at it as, as, I always try to step backwards and see like how things are in the, in the larger system. And you t- you're talking about Bauhaus versus Banksy and, and the different art that people make. 
and I'm all, I'm looking at it collectively as sort of artifacts that we surround ourselves with. Yeah. Right. It's not, not really going anywhere with that, but like I typically, as I'm surrounded by Legos, I don't participate in the, the collection of stuff. <laughs> I, I'm saying that with the stuff, like yeah. the stuff I've collected. But, you know, this stuff serves a little bit of a different purpose. Like I, I can play with it, build it and stuff. But the art thing is is a little, it's like a foreign language to me, like wall art, like fine art. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate it, but it, it's not, I would never, I can't comprehend spending millions of dollars on a Picasso. I don't see where the value is. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I could sort of understand other people uh, putting the value into the the Picasso. Yeah, the way I understand somebody speaking a, a different language, I know they're saying stuff to each other. I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's definitively bizarre. Um, yeah, the art world proper, and yeah, you know. As as are the a lot of the collectible worlds and uh, NFTs or whatever you want to yeah but so NFTs yeah it all gets into its own little class of weirdness um but yeah is there anything else that you want to knock out really quickly or uh, the metaverse I'm gonna grab a prop real quick oh we got to grab your props uh, it's it's not that big of a ladies prop. and gentlemen hold on I gotta we're grabbing props. <laughs> so the metaverse is talked about quite a bit on your wherever you're you're going but i want to show this to everybody snow classes by uh, neil stevenson this is the guy i was talking about um i believe he coined the term metaverse mm -hmm. way back in 92 in that book and he's one of my favorite authors and for many reasons, but one of the reasons I'll, I'll throw out there is because he has the capacity. He's an intelligent guy. I've never met him, never talked to him, but he, he gives me the impression of being able to write characters much smarter than himself, which I think, um, <laughs> yeah. makes, makes the novels very, very interesting. Because these characters get into trouble and then they get out. Um, but I can't recommend him highly enough. And he's been talking about the metaverse for decades now. Mm -hmm. And last time I looked into him, he was working at Magic Leap, which is one of the companies working on metaverse type technology. So if you're interested in a well-informed opinion about the metaverse, read what he has to say about it in his novels. All right. I will, uh, that's it. I would say that's your whole audience. Yes. His books are tough to read. He's, he's very verbose, but I, I love him to death. So, um, I have to be in the right mindset and yeah. inclination yep. to go through a lot of heavy books. Um, I think at one point I plowed through um, some Joseph Campbell stuff and was like, I was like, yeah, I'm here right there. I'm with you. And yep, it was just... Imagine a novel written like that, as dense as that. Right. 
It's good stuff. He also wrote Cryptonomicon, which was sort of about Bitcoin before Bitcoin existed. Yeah. So very, very smart dude predicting the future in a lot of ways. All right. I'm I'm going to have a um an AR programmer on next week. I shouldn't have said programmer. I, he's some sort of engineer at an AR company. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to have him on next week and we've been kind of batting around the metaverse. So uh, if you know of anything that I should ask them, um, well, maybe we should talk, hash it out a little bit. And yeah. Here's something I'll start back and forth on this a little bit. Yeah. I'm not an expert on this. I've, I've read his books and I'm a, a fan. That's all I can say about the topic. Yeah. So I came in through the NFT angle where I was all like, Hey, avatars and NFT and okay. That's that whole thing that I was interested in from this side. So yeah, wearable tech and all that. It's interesting. It is not all a rose garden. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> Whatever they come up with, <laughs> it's it's not just going to be fun and games. There could be some significant uh, downsides if we're not careful. So, well, and I, actually, I think that's a good point to end on. I think that we're definitely. Um, as creators um, of entertaining products and just products for human consumption in general, that it's important that we try to take what these overall, you know, systems, these overarching systems that are overlapping in all areas of our lives, that we make sure that they're giving us the output that we at least I shouldn't say hope for, but at least treat us well. Um, yeah. You know, so we can't really control all the inputs because as you said, it's like the weather, but hopefully we can get some good outputs. Or build a lean-to for others. A what? To come in high to do. A lean-to. Oh, what is a lean-to? It's a storm. It's just a little thing that you put against a, a secure structure and Huddle under it. Oh, okay, okay. While the storm passes over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just lean it to that side and you hide under it. Nice. Very cool. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming through. And Donnie, uh, this has been a fun conversation, my man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of fun. Haven't touched on a lot of these topics in a straightforward format. You know, maybe a, a little shot here and there on Twitter, but nothing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, came through. I didn't actually think you were gonna you were gonna come through. <laughs> okay, well that's an <laughs> no. I'm like I was like, is that we're gonna end it on? He he does that now. he's a great guy. He doesn't post much on their social media, but he came through for this. I I'm saying I'm I'm saying I appreciate it a lot. Um, it was my pleasure. I'd enjoy it. <laughs> like I said, this is gonna be uh, enough social interaction nourishment for me to last at least a year so all right i'm just joking about that let me let me plug my son's youtube channel real quick okay we turn off all right so so his, his channel name is acorn wellian and it's acorn and orwellian put together and uh he's a young animator a lot of Interesting, quirky stuff on there, but uh, 
if you're interested in animation, you can watch watch them grow into something great. Acorn Wellian. Yep. All one word. I do remember checking that out. I haven't been back there in a couple months, but it it was, and I assume it's still good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So, but I'm biased. So, judge for yourself. Uh, everybody, check out Acorn Wellian. <laughs> he's got a Patreon and everything. <laughs> help, help me pay his college bills. <laughs> and he's going to college for animation. Or yes, he is. And yep. okay. Um, okay, cool. I'll just leave it there. Yep. All right, Donnie. Thank you very much uh, for your time. This has been another uh, light episode. There's a little button down below. You tap on the little camera icon, and I think it should allow you to exit safely and peacefully. All right. Thanks, Mr. Benjamin, and I'll talk to you later. All right, my man. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right, that was the smoothest exit from from uh, this Instagram Live that I've ever had before. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm getting better at le- doing the outro. I usually don't know how to end these. They just kind of tail off and we stumble to the ending uh thank everybody for joining us um we do this the interviews maybe once a week um more sometimes and sometimes we don't get a guest on but most weeks we have an interview at some point in the week just check back with me and my page now if there's somebody you know who wants to uh has something on their mind about art design and development that's what we do here we talk about the creativity from our experiences. Donnie and I work both work together at Rockstar Games. So I'm glad I hope you got something from it. I know I did. And we'll be doing this again next week. We're gonna have Al Aboot on and we're gonna be talking about the metaverse, AR, and some other futuristic stuff. Uh should be a good time. So if you want to be on this, if you want to um chat it up with me let me know in the comments or send me a private message once again it's mr Bench's add experience and i'll check you later bye hey it's great here from you too miss monster hey thanks for joining me on this podcast you all make everything i do possible and i really do appreciate it so even if you've got me on social please visit mrbenja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes all right i'll see you next time Peace.